Well, let's take our Bibles and go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 will be there in verses 1 and 2. And we'll begin to read there in verse 1. The Bible says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal or the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, most people living their lives at one time or another, they get alone with God and say, God, what should I do? Have you ever been there? You seem to have hit a dead end. You seem to have problems happening. And you say, God, tell me what to do. What is your will? And if you've been under gospel preaching, you, you, you've heard of the phrase, the will of God, which is what we just read here. And I think a lot of us in church, we have, we have messed up views on what the will of God is. For example, some of us think that the will of God is that he, and he could do this, but he'll come to us and he'll, in a dream or in a vision, give us a detailed roadmap with an itinerary of everything that we're supposed to do in the next 30 years of life. And we think that if I don't know what God wants me to do 10 years from now, then therefore I don't know the will of God. And then sometimes we, we think that the will of God is this, this mystery machine, don't we? Like you, you have to go off in a monastery somewhere and go for a long time without eating to, to try to find the will of God. Or maybe you go talk to someone that you believe is very godly and they love Jesus and they know the Bible. And you, you seek counsel from them and you say, do you have any insight on what the will of God is for my life? I don't know about any of you, but I enjoy history. Do we have some history buffs in here? All right, no, Kenny, you're with me. Got a lot more. Okay, history. World War II, there is something that's called the Enigma typewriter. And it's what the Germans use to code their messages. Today we have encryption and everything's gone digital. But back then it was a little, a little typewriter and it had five notched wheels or rotors which displayed different letters of the alphabet. And you would calibrate that receiver and you would type out your message. The people on the other end who are trying to interpret your message would have to know exactly how you calibrated that machine and they would put your message into their, excuse the term 1940s, their software, right? And then they would translate, decode, and decipher what the enigma, which is basically a mystery typewriter, had created. And often we think that the will of God is like that. I've known some people and they say, you know what, Jeff, I have absolutely no idea what God would have me to do with my life. This can be a teenager all the way up into a person who's retired. Say, I, I, I want to serve Jesus, but what do I do? Well, if you have your outline today, we're going to give you three components of finding the will of God. Three components that come from this. Normally, we don't have three points. We basically just do. Uh, if you're new with us, we just walk through a passage of Scripture, try to pull out what's there, teach it. But in most churches, you have three points and then a what? Then a poem, all right? 
But we actually have three points today. So maybe that's a new style for the new year. Notice what we just read here in the Bible. That the, the Bible says, number one, in verse one, Paul is saying, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. What we have to have to find the will of God for our life in this new year is to have a willingness to listen. And all the people with children said, amen, right? A willingness to listen. Because if you, if you've been around any families for any length of time, you know that there is a difference between hearing and listening. My dad is great at what we call selective hearing. Just let it waft over the congregation, right? You know what I'm talking about? To where you may hear something, you say, you know what? I, and sometimes that can be you're watching TV, reading the newspaper, checking Facebook, working on something, and you overhear something. I need help in the kitchen. You hear it, but you don't listen to it. You see, listening has to do with obedient action, does it not? I know every single one of you, you grandparents and you parents, you just love, you love this. I mean, you love it so much you go out to your, 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 your mailbox and you proclaim to your neighbors, I love my children, and you float back in the house when this happens. When you say, honey, I want you to go and help your mom with the dishes, and they say, father, I have heard you. And then they go do whatever they want to want to do. You say, no, you don't understand. I, I'm, I'm telling you, as your father or your mother, go help your father or your mother do the chores. Mop the floor. Clean the bathrooms. Take the dog out. Do doggy duty. And they say, what you're saying is that you, as my parent, want me to go engage in this task. And you're like, I've got a smart kid, right? And, and they say, okay, I understand that. And they totally disobey. And you say, okay, well, I have a little friend and it's called the Board of Education. Not child abuse, but biblical discipline. The point here simply is, is that Paul, the, the Apostle Paul, this guy who had lived a really jacked up lifestyle, had a lot of regrets, a lot of guilt, a lot of sin, until Jesus came and radically changed this guy named Saul. And then Jesus gave him a new name that's Paul, and he turned from a person that was seeking out to destroy people as a person who's seeking to bring Jesus to heal people. Radical change. And he says here, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God. Let me just give you a statement before we really dive in. This is David Livingston, who was the first white man to penetrate the continent of Africa. And he was a missionary. You talk about an amazing autobiography or a biography of David Livingston. I mean, you cannot put it down. He had a limp shoulder from getting bitten by a lion that he and his guys ended up killing. Infinity of man points. Um, I mean, how many how many preachers do you know who has kind of a limp arm? You know, and you're sitting around at the meeting, they're like, and then one guy says, "Yeah, I pulled I pulled my back a little bit doing some Pilates at the gym." And the other guys are like, "You should never do Pilates, right?" And this guy said, "What's wrong with your shoulder?" Yeah, I got bit by a lion. Killed him. I mean, this guy's amazing guy. So Google him today, all right? Here's what he said, quote, I had rather be in the heart of Africa, in the will of God, stop. What that meant is that you would probably die. What it meant is that you would have to drink water that animals have drank in and done other things in. You would be in threat of having your life taken by hostile people. You would be around nothing familiar. In other words, be on the very doorstep of death. I had rather be in the heart of Africa... In the will of God, then on the throne of England, out of the will of God. 
Man, what a great watershed statement for us desiring to find God's will for us and Rocky Mount Baptist Church in 2014. Now, here in your Bibles, if you want to take a note, in verse 1, and let me just say, I think I'm a little... We didn't have church last week, and so usually that translates into longer sermon. Y'all ready? Okay. So this word here for appeal in the original language is the same... It has, it has the connotations of coming alongside someone. There is, is, is the word for call, and then there's the, the word to call, and then another word that combines it with. It's not Paul saying from this lofty position, I'm the apostle Paul. I'm your daddy. I'm the boss. Who got a vision from Jesus? Who's the one who has multiple PhDs? Who's the one who's planning churches? Uh, oh, it's me. No, none of that. He uses this word. He comes alongside these believers. And he calls them and he appeals to them by the mercies of God. And let me just put this, this word of application. Whenever you are dialoguing with your family, whenever you're arguing with a coworker, you will do far better in your life if you appeal to people as opposed to show up and begin to pull the Hitler card and tell them everything that you know they're going to do because you're in charge. They may obey you because of your position, but eventually they will not respect you. What people respect is servant leadership. If you as the leader are willing to do what you're asking people to do, people will gravitate towards that. I mean, all those World War II documentaries where the guys speak of their commanders and they say, he never asked us to do anything that what? That he wouldn't do as well. Here's the Apostle Paul coming alongside and appealing to, what's the word here? Brothers. In other words, he's saying that we are a family of believers. One of the ways that you can find the will of God in your life is to incorporate yourself into a local church. What that means is do everything in your power to be faithful, to come to church. Amen? Now, we don't teach legalism here. We don't teach that God has demerits that he gives you. If, for example, if you come down with strep throat, stay at home. Right? There's some gifts that you don't need to give to others. When we, you, you, you come to that place to where you incorporate yourself into the body of believers. Some of you need to be involved in a Bible study this year. That, that, that's one of the things you need to get involved in. Some of you need to come and pray with us on Wednesday nights and study the Word of God verse by verse. It's a great atmosphere that you can have your questions answered. You can throw in points. It's great. Here's the thing. When you, when you involve yourself with people who are following Jesus, they're going to help you follow Jesus. Nobody here is perfect. Amen? Nobody. So Paul is saying, look, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And just this statement in itself clashes with the worldview of that time. For example, the word barbarian. Do you know who coined that term? It was the Greeks. The Greeks were the educated people of the ancient world. The Greeks said, if you're not like us, if you don't know Plato and Aristotle and the other Greek authors that we don't know how to pronounce their names, all these guys that are postulating on on what reality is, then you're you're just a, a barbarian. Then the Romans, the virtue in the Roman world was strength. 
The Romans actually hired the Greeks. The Romans met the Greeks on the battlefield, defeated them, and then hired them to teach their children the smart stuff. It's almost like the guy that's just ripped. He's absolutely a physical hoss. And he says, you know what? The thing that I value is power and strength. And if you are not as strong as I am, and if you're not like me, then you're not one of me. And then in the Jewish world, They said that one of the prayers of the Jewish men is when they would get up in the morning, they would say, God, I thank you that I am not a Gentile, a dog, or a woman. That gives you a little bit of perspective on what Jesus was having to deal with, right? He didn't come with people saying, I'm ready to go to Sunday school. He came into a really twisted religious system. But do we realize how amazing it truly is for the Apostle Paul to be writing this letter to the Romans, a mixed culture, and to say, we are all brothers. In some churches, we call each other brother. Hey, hey, brother, brother so-and-so. Hey, sister so-and-so. And, and it's almost like something that's, that's a little bit... So we, we, we think that it's, today it's like a dated thing, but to realize how revolutionary of a concept that was, that Paul fractured, just exploded the Greek culture, the Jewish culture, and the Roman culture, and said that we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. And if one of the things that you have, are committing to do, you say, Jeff, this past year I've been out of church... I've not had my family in church. We've been out forever or we may have not really ever been involved. If I show up, I may be way behind the eight ball. Have you ever felt that way about anything else in your life? You're a kid, you change schools, you try to try out for the middle school team, and it's your old school, you did well. But on this team, you seem like it seems like everybody's... That's not the way that the body of Christ is. Amen, church? The body of Christ is a family that comes together. Now you tell me, when something happens in a family, when job loss comes, when there's a house fire, when there's illness, the family does what? A true family comes together, don't they? They may even put aside small differences because they're a family and they love one another. So one of the greatest benefits that you could do for yourself and for your family is to get plugged in to the community of faith in 2014. All right? Okay, let's continue on. The word here, he has to do with appealing. He's coming alongside them. See, now how is this appeal made possible? Notice what verse 1 says. It's by the mercies of God. And this word mercy in the original languages is beautiful. It's plural. He's not just saying by the mercy of God through sending Jesus. He's saying the mercy of God, every single thing that you have other than hell is the mercy of God. The mercies of God coming from him giving us just the physical health to be here. The mercy of God having someone love us enough to be able to invite us to church. The mercy of God that some of you who are parents, when you had that first child, you, I mean, you, you can have grown men, strong, strapping guys. But I mean, I heard story after story that when they see their firstborn child come, they just break down like a little baby. Because it's, you're like, God, that you would entrust to me this precious child. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, if you're taking notes, the Bible says, Put on then, it's using a metaphor of, of clothing or armor, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. 2014, one of the ways that you can incorporate into your life Finding the will of God is to be attentive to the needs of other people. What did Jesus do? Jesus took on himself what he never deserved. Jesus deserved everything that was right and holy and perfect and pristine. 
But he came down into this dirty world and he took other people's mess when he didn't have to. One of the greatest things that you can do for yourself, for the glory of God, for the local church, is to find people and pour your life into them. You say, Jeff, I want to serve the Lord. I want to serve in this local church. What do we need? We need people who are willing to invest in other people. Let me say that again. We need Rocky Mount Baptist Church 2014. We need people to stand up and sign up and invest in the lives of other people. What that does not necessarily mean is just inviting them to church. Because if you take someone who has, has been, has been raised rough and who's been beaten up by the world and you say, come join me for an hour on Sunday, what do you do with the other 167 hours of the week? See, now we're preaching. Y'all okay? Willing to be inconvenienced, a.k.a. take them out to lunch. Everything always goes better with food, right? Well, I mean, you, 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 you go to Pizza Hut, man, and you, you, after you've dominated the salad, which makes you feel better about going to Pizza Hut, all that is there is, is a conscience soother. And then you destroy some pizza, you make them lose money on that. People think that you, right? And then you go to those little strips of dough that have, come on now, they have cinnamon sprinkled and some of that white stuff glossed over the top. And it's saying, I am sin. But yet your sin nature says, come to me. And you embrace it and you eat it. This may set some of you free. You said, well, maybe not that. That'd be. Never know how it's going to. Didn't put that in the notes, Lee. All right. But you will be amazed that if you take someone out to breakfast, dinner, lunch, and you use that as an opportunity to genuinely get to know them, not that they're your pet Jesus project, not like you pull out your little card you're like, check, but that you genuinely get to know them. And in the course of just having a meal together, how natural it seems to go to the things of the Lord because there is the food, there is the fellowship, there is the environment, there is the opportunity that you have invited them to do something non-awkward, which everybody eats. We need people willing to invest in people. Some of you families, it may be that you invite a new family over to your home for dinner once a week. Everybody's busy. And by the way, when people tell me that as a pastor, I say, well, Jeff, I'm busy. My sarcastic side almost comes out and I almost want to say, well, whoop did he, whoop did he do? We have a busy person. You know what? I've never met a busy person before. Tell me how that is. It all has to do with what we truly value. If you truly value Jesus Christ, I'm talking to the believers. If you, if you have no idea, you're first time in church, whatever, let me, let me talk to people who claim it. If you claim to love Jesus Christ, if you claim to want to see Rocky Mount Baptist Church grow, and God has blessed us so much, it's really, really crazy. Do y'all realize that in the summer we will have been together with kind of a thing, you know? Four years. People talk about the honeymoon period. Pastor's like, well, once you get past that 18 months, get yourself to bulletproof vest. Man, I feel like it's still the honeymoon period. We love each other. We want to see people saved for the glory of Jesus Christ. But where it really begins to pick up steam is when we, outside of a church event, outside of a Sunday school party, outside of a Wednesday night, Sunday morning, where we just 
meet somebody on Sunday morning. I'm like, dude, what are you, what are you doing after church today? And you invest in them. And they have that connection to you. Because guess what? We're at the point that Pastor Jeff cannot do everything. Y'all okay? Do I want to visit everybody? Yeah, yes. Do I want to do evangelism? Yes. But it, it's, so here's what, here's what you, I believe 2014 will be the year that we really decide. We will have people say, we'll let the leadership do it. Or we'll come alongside the leadership and say, I'm ready to invest in people. You don't have to tell us. Just take somebody out to eat. Are y'all okay? Because here's what, here's what people do not need. This is such a lie in the church world. The church world says, we need, we want to have a friendly church. What people do not need as a friendly church, they need friends who love Jesus, who should be preached at church. Somebody's mind just got blown and that's not that deep. What we, and here's the thing, we want to have the preaching, the music, the grounds, the children's church, do it. I mean, spirit of excellence as best as possibly can be done. But where discipleship really takes place is it's us taking time to reach people outside of this hour each week. Are y'all okay? And what you will find is when you invite people and to come here and they do and they hear the word of God, they're encouraged. And then when you do things with them, you invest in them, you show them the care of Christ throughout the week. You, I'm telling you, if you struggle with depression, I guarantee you that if you begin to invest in people who are struggling, that will raise your spirits. Because if you sit around all the time and think about woe is me, guess what? That is a sad, sad way to live. And Christ has saved you for something much greater. And we got all that out of the word, brothers. Let's continue on. The Bible says in verse 1 still, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice. You see, the mercies of God level the playing field. Just because I'm the pastor doesn't mean that I'm grade A Christian. Jesus' mercy comes to all of us, meets us in all different areas, and makes us equal in Christ. Not only that, but the willingness to sacrifice. Number one, finding the will of God. A willingness to listen. Number two, a willingness to sacrifice. You say, Jeff, how am I to present my body a sacrifice to God? Notice how this is almost, it seems contradictory. It says, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, last time I checked, sacrifices die, don't they? When you sacrifice it, the Old Testament system, the animal died. But yet the Bible says to present yourself a living sacrifice. Paul is speaking of the experience of our lives to where we live in such a way to where we sacrifice and we yield our bodies to God. Question, what we put in our bodies, how we use our bodies, what we say, is that something that, that lines up with what Jesus says is true? And for some of us, we say, well, Jeff, there are, there are activities, there are habits that I seem to have already carried over from 2013. Some of these are not the habits in our culture that we say that's a bad habit, but it's something very personal and it's something very private. What can I do about this? When you get up in the morning, you say, God... These hands are the hands that I have not created for myself, 
but these hands have been created by your hands. You're the one who knit me together, Psalm 139, in the womb of my mother. You're the one who gave me my legs, my body, my eyes, my mind and my tongue that can speak words of life or speak words of death. God, today, whenever I'm tempted to go into those conversations that are not honoring to you, would you help me to present my body, my mind, my mouth as a living sacrifice to you? If you're married, it may, it, 2014 may be a brand new renaissance for your marriage to where you say, Jeff, it looks back like I say these things to my spouse and I know they're hurtful. Well, why don't it just, what? Today can be your day to commit your words in your mouth every day when you get up to say, God, even though my spouse is not perfect, even though they they do some dumb things sometimes, I'm going to look for ways to speak life into them. And and if you do that, if you allow the word of God to so saturate your heart that you are not just upset at the failings of your spouse, but you're broken for your spouse. And you pour out through your words, your love and affection and your respect for them. And your disappointment with yourself. Because all of us fail other people from time to time, don't we? To present your bodies a living sacrifice to God. Because you see, what happens sometimes is we can be tempted. God says, offer me your time. And we say, well, I I like to use my time for other things. I want you to offer me your body. You say, well, it's been a tough week. I really deserve that Friday night. Just a six-pack, okay? And whether you're in Colorado or whether you're in Virginia, you know, it's just a little bit, fill in the blank. I just, I, I deserve, I deserve this. No, what you deserve, you deserve hell. Welcome to Rocky Mountain Baptist Church, okay? Be very clear. If it were not for God's mercy, you would have been in hell a long time ago. Me, I would not be here. I would be in hell a long time ago. That's what you deserve. It is through God's mercy that he brings you through those difficult times in your job and your life. And not only that, through his power, you can overcome those things by yielding your body to him. But sometimes when we, we've gone through those periods in our life to where we've said, you know what, I want to do what I want to do. I deserve this. We, it's kind of like we're, we're chasing, we're chasing that voice that says, it's going to be fun, right? And we go into that cave and the voice says, there's just gold around the corner, just a little further. And we get out our little cell phone light of, of, of self-sufficiency and we begin to go into the wormhole deeper and deeper and deeper, only to hear the door lock behind us hundreds of yards away. And we are trapped and the lifestyle of me-centeredness and refusing to lay down our bodies as a living sacrifice. Where Jesus comes into this cave and says, follow me, I will give you freedom. I will give you freedom. I heard Adrian Rogers give the story of a little boy. His dad brought him to McDonald's, bought him some French fries. And you know, sometimes when you do that, if you're out with somebody, you don't get the fries and you buy them the fries and then you realize, you know what? I'd like a fry. But you don't want to buy a whole one for yourself. So what the dad did is he, he said, I'd like to have a french fry. And the little boy said, these are mine. And the dad thought, he said, I just bought you those french fries. Yeah, but they're mine now. And Adrian, by the way, Google him too. Lord have mercy, what a preacher. Listen to him when you're doing the dishes or whatever. Help the time go faster. It's awesome. But he gives this story. He says, it's like something came all over that dad that said, if it were not for me, you wouldn't have one French fry. And I bought you your own. And in fact, if I wanted to, I could buy, I could, I could 
cover you in french fries. I can pull out my wallet and say, I want every french fry in McDonald's. But all I wanted was you to give back a little of what I've given you. It's like my little little nephew, Micah. He's learning how to give stuff away. And he said he was in Chick-fil-A the other day. There's a little girl next to him in, in the, like two high chairs right there. And when he gives away something, he says, please. And he, he got one of his chicken nuggets. I'm like, man, that, he's got the spiritual gift of giving. There's no way when I was that age I'd give away 25% of my chickenness, right? I mean, no way, man. And he, and he offers her. And he kind of throws his head back like this. And he goes, please, please. Please, And she just looked at him. And he's used to his sister, which is a, a Labrador retriever, gold retriever mix. And whenever you offer something, she always takes it. And so he looked at her. And then he goes, Wah! just drops it on the floor. And when she didn't get down like a dog and eat it off the floor, he just kind of looked at her. And then they, Josh and Cassie said he was like mystified. He's like, I told you, please. And then I dropped it on the floor. You didn't need it. That's his frame of reference. And I thought, man, how cool is that when I'm studying this passage? That God says, don't just present your french fries. Don't just present your Chick-fil-A chicken nuggets. But to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now notice what the next qualifier is here. Holy. What that has nothing to do, it doesn't have to do with your haircut. It doesn't have to do necessarily with what you wear. Although, ladies, you should strive to say, I want to glorify God in all of my behavior and not wear something that I know would make another man stumble. And if you're a guy and you're wearing super high shorts, you should be put in prison anyway. (laughs) Y'all know it's true. There's always that guy at the 5Ks. Anyway, that's another... It says, it says holy, which in the Greek world, it didn't really mean holy. It just meant set apart. Now imagine this, that this is, this is, when we think of holy, we think of people who are, what? Holy, right? But in the New, New Testament world, the word had to do with people who were set apart, set, set apart for a specific purpose. For example, if you went into a pagan temple, there would be, and all the kids, the kids are in there, there would be male and female prostitutes who had the word attached to them that they were holy because they were set apart for a specific purpose for a pagan God. New Testament comes in and says, you know what? You guys are set apart, but you're not set apart for that mess. You're set apart to bring glory to God. In other words, what that means, and I love how the Bible explains itself, if we would just actually read it, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is cool. In the Greek language right here, the word for spiritual is logikos. Logic. You can translate it your reasonable or your rational service. It says, what is holy? Verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Polycarp, an early Christian, said this when he was told that he must be Worship Caesar as God. He said, quote, if you vainly suppose I will swear by the genius of Caesar, you're ignorant of who I am. Listen to me plainly. I am a Christian. Listen, if you've got some reading that you'd like to do in the new year, we've got an idea. We're going to have a table out here with books that we recommend. And when you read some of those early Christian guys, some of y'all think that's boring. Man, they lit it up. They, they did not hire a public spokesperson coach is like, well, here's the way that you kind of massage the message in the culture. They're like, boom! 
not politically correct, to be conformed to the world. You ever notice, whenever you take something that's pliable and moldable like, like Play-Doh, or even like if you're, if you're making a cake, the container that you put it in determines the shape. And the Word of God is saying, do not be conformed, do not be molded by the world. In other words, by what people think is good and popular. Listen, if every single one of us can just go back and look at ourselves in a high school yearbook picture and think and remember what we thought was cool then, we'll realize very quickly that what's cool today is uncool tomorrow. The Bible says that man is like grass, but the word of the Lord stands forever. It could be in 2014 you say, Jeff... I have just been driven by what other people think about me. I've been not wanting to bring up Jesus because people may think something about me. Or I've just been scared to even come to church to learn about Jesus. Let it be in 2014 you say, you know what? By the power of God and by His Spirit, I'm not going to be conformed to this world, but I'm going to be, notice, transformed. Which means radically changed. Metamorphosis transformed by the renewing of my mind. And it is when your mind is renewed by the word of God, that means when it's less of what Jeff used to think and more of what Jesus thinks and says, then notice you'll be able to submit. It says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. God will guide you in this next year if you have a willingness to listen, a willingness to sacrifice your time, a willingness to sacrifice your time for other people, to serve Christ, and then through that you're coming to the place of submitting yourself to Him. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 14 through 16, if you're taking notes, the Bible says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of, or the lusts of your former ignorance. In other words, don't let that stuff that Jesus saved you from define you like it used to. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. What it simply means is that in our conduct, in our words, in our actions, we are looking not to advance our political views necessarily. Y'all okay? Can we do that in a purple state from the pulpit? You may believe what you believe. Wherever you fall on that spectrum, although there are certain things this month, uh, there will be Sanctity of Life Sunday that the Bible is very clear about regardless of your political party. But the goal for us should not be ultimately political. The goal should be for us to have that heart change that if we are in politics, that if we are in an economic strata, if we are working at a factory, that our changed heart and our transformation would be so visible to people that when we finally speak to them of Jesus, they'll be like, I'll listen to him, I'll listen to her because I know that they care. To be transformed by the renewing of your mind and it is through that that we learn to find the will of God. Remember that enigma machine that the Germans use with that typewriter? That's not. That's not finding the will of God. The will of God is if you were to, if you, if you commit today through the power of Christ to yield yourself to Him, you can forget the enigma. You can forget the enigma typewriter and breaking codes. It is Jesus who is the code breaker who came, and as it says in the book of 2 Timothy, I have come. He says, and I've shown that it is through the gospel, light and immortality of the light, 
through the gospel. In other words, Jesus has come to show us what life is all about. Jesus says, I have come that you may have abundant life. Not a life that's lame or boring. But whether we have that or just the regular life that everybody else has, it comes to the place, are we willing to submit to Jesus Christ? It's very well possible that for some of you, that this is the day that you say, you know what, I've, I need to be baptized. I, I, God has changed my life in this past year, but I've never made that public. And what we do here is we have an invitation. We give you a chance when we stand and sing. It is God's call to you that today, that if he's made an impression on your heart, if he's changed you, you say, I want it to be brand new. I'm willing to give my life to God. What we're going to ask you to do is we're going to bow our heads in just a few moments. And if, and if you're ready to make that public step of commitment to him, we're going to stand and sing in just a few moments, and I'm going to be standing right down here in front of this, this podium. And we're going to ask you to get up and walk forward, and this is going to be your time to make public your commitment to Jesus. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. <clears throat> if you've never given your life to Christ, if you know that, that you have not, you've not lived the right way, and there's really no way that any of us could, But you know that he is calling you to commit to him today. To commit your life to becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. The Bible says you must believe in Jesus. You must believe that God raised him from the dead. You must repent of your sin. Receive Christ. So why not right now, if you've never done that before in your life, you just ask God, to take control of who you are. To ask Him to, to wipe you clean and to forgive you of all of the things that you've done. Just in this moment, say, just commit to Him. Say, Jesus, save me. Help me to live for you. And what the Bible teaches is to make a decision, a commitment for Jesus public. What we're going to do is we're going to stand to our feet and we're going to sing a song about Jesus. And then I'm going to ask you to just get up out of your seat wherever you are in this room and walk forward. And I'll be down right here at the front. You can just walk down and I'll pray for you. And then you'll be able to stand up and I'll introduce you and you say, it's, it's today. You don't have to say that, but I'll, I'll just let you, the commitment of your life, drive you to follow Jesus. If you know that you need to join this church, God has brought you here. He has, he has drawn you to Rocky Mount Baptist Church. And you know deep down in your heart that this is your, your faith family. This is your home. Why don't you come? When we begin to sing, don't delay. Why don't you come and step out and follow Christ? Lord Jesus, we give this invitation to you. And we ask that you would draw the ones who need to make commitments for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.